Hello everybody, this sermon is the first in our new series looking at the Sermon on the Mount and today we're looking at the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12. If we were to do a survey of people in the UK asking them the question, who do you consider to be blessed? I wonder what answers we would get. Blessed are the healthy, blessed are the vaccinated, I guess that would be number one at the moment. But what else would we get? Blessed are the happy. Blessed are those who own their own home and have a family. Blessed are the rich and famous. Blessed are the powerful with important jobs. Blessed are the sovereign nations that can make independent decisions for themselves. Ultimately, the answers would depend on who we asked but I can guarantee that most of them would look nothing like what Jesus said here as he begins his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty. Blessed are the persecuted. I mean, come on, this sounds mad. The famous psychoanalyst Lucian Freud said the Beatitudes were an example of Jesus' mental imbalance. Other critics have denounced them as verging on masochism. One thing is sure, on first hearing, they are certainly difficult to understand. Yet these nine statements in Matthew 5 lie at the heart of Jesus' message. This was him announcing all that he had come to earth to achieve, all that the kingdom of God was about. If we fail to understand these statements, then we will fail to understand Jesus. So here we must wrestle with the gospel at its most difficult and most controversial, but always recognising that this is also so important. For if these nine statements are true, they turn the world upside down. If they are true, they're going to change the way we see our lives and call us to behave in a completely different way. These nine statements then are very demanding. They demand us to think and they demand us to respond. Jesus designed them to be that way. Whenever we read from the Sermon on the Mount, we must always remember who the original audience were. Jesus was speaking to the Jewish people at a very particular time in their history. They were living in a ravaged land under the oppression of the Romans. They were living with poverty, hunger and persecution as part of their daily lives. They were well familiar with grief, not only through their loved ones who had been killed, but also from their loss of identity and sense of purpose. All they had once held so dear seemed to have been taken away. The Jews were desperate people, clinging on by their fingernails to promises given to them of old. Promises that they were God's people and he would bless them. Promises that God would send his Messiah to rescue them. Promises that God's kingdom would come and life would begin again. The reason that such a great crowd had gathered at the beginning of Matthew 5 was that news was whipping round the whole country that some of these promises might at last be fulfilled. A man had arrived who was announcing the kingdom of God. His words were being backed up with incredible miracles and healings. The expectation was on the verge of boiling over. Could this really be it? Was Rome about to be thrown out and Israel given pride of place in the world? 
into this febrile environment, Jesus steps up to speak. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty. Blessed are the persecuted. And suddenly we realise that knowing the background does not necessarily make these statements any easier. I wonder what the equivalent might be today. Would you go up to a Covid nurse on the verge of exhaustion and tell them they are blessed? Would you go up to a persecuted Christian in North Korea, Pakistan or Somalia and tell them they are blessed? Would you go up to a refugee clinging on the side of a makeshift boat, terrified of drowning in the channel and tell them they are blessed? Come on, Jesus, what is this all about? I believe that there are three different levels to understanding the Beatitudes. And to help us learn them, I would like us to remember three words. Promise, posture and power. Promise, posture and power. The very first thing the Beatitudes are is that they are promises. They are the promises of the kingdom. As Jesus stands up on that Galilean mountainside, he is making a great announcement. He is God's Messiah come to earth and his arrival brings good news. God knows his people are suffering now, but in the kingdom, they will be blessed. When you think about it, only Jesus could ever make a promise such as this. He is the only one who has been in the kingdom of heaven and come to earth to tell us what it is like. He is the only one who has come down from the throne room of God. The kingdom of God began on earth through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It is already here in part. But one day it will be here in full. When Jesus comes a second time, the world will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. Heaven and earth will come together and the kingdom will be all there is. The evil empires of the world, such as Rome, will have been removed forever. Jesus knows from personal experience that when that day arrives and the kingdom finally comes in full, it will be so glorious and the reward so great for all those who take their place within it that it will easily counterbalance the misery encountered in life. In the kingdom of God, mourners will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. The hungry will be fulfilled. The pure will literally see God. And they will dwell in this state of contentment for eternity. In making these promises to those downtrodden Jews 2,000 years ago, Jesus was offering them hope. And still today, these words bring us hope of a future that will far outshine the darkness of our present. Many of you will know that the transatlantic slaves used to sing spirituals as they worked and suffered. These contained such words as swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my robe, gonna shout out all over God's heaven. We'll soon be free, we'll soon be free when the Lord will call us home. These words came from the mouths of men and women who had little hope in this world, but who placed all their hope in the world to come. 
all their hope was placed on Jesus. And for them, that was enough. The hope they had was so strong, it kept them alive. It kept them going. In this pandemic, hope is what we need more than anything else. Hope that the future will be better. This is exactly what Jesus promises to us. As Christians, we must learn to anticipate the kingdom of God in the difficulty of our lives. We are to know in the core of our being that the kingdom that is coming will last far longer than the present age and the health, wholeness and pleasure it will contain will be far more substantial than our current trials. Let us hold on to this promise. A promise only made possible because Jesus the King came to earth for us. This is very good news. There is always a danger, however, when we put so much focus on the future. For clearly Jesus' ministry was not just about days far ahead. Jesus believed that through his life and ministry, God's kingdom was breaking in to the present. It was now as well as not yet. So the second level of understanding we need to gain from the Beatitudes is that they show us how to enter God's kingdom. They teach us the posture required by people of faith. The posture deemed to succeed in our world is this, strong, defiant. The posture required to enter the kingdom is on our knees hands outstretched. In some ways, the Roman Empire and the 21st century Western culture were quite similar. Society was governed by one rule, survival of the fittest. The strongest, richest and most powerful win in life, the rest lose. But here in the Beatitudes, Jesus states something very different. God sees the world he made through completely different lenses. And when we see what God values in life, we can begin to understand how it might be that the victims in life triumph rather than those more outwardly successful. Let me explain. In society today, values such as strength, good looks, important connections, competitive instinct and a confident self-reliance are deemed to bring success. But sadly, these very same attributes that serve us well on earth for a time may directly block our entrance to God's kingdom. That is because to get into the kingdom, rather than human power, you need dependence. You need to know sorrow for your sin, show repentance and have a longing to change. And in this regard, Jesus really did believe the poor, mourning and persecuted to have an advantage. For in their desperation, they are more likely to cry out for help. They are quicker to take up a humble posture ready to receive. People like us, who are very rich in the world's eyes, sometimes get offended when we hear of God's love for the poor. But we need to understand this. It's not that the poor are more virtuous than anybody else. Just that they're less likely to pretend to be. The lowly people in first century Israel are not blessed just because of their miserable existence. Jesus spent much of his life trying to remedy that. But because they had learnt not to be self-sufficient. 
As a result, when Jesus offered the gospel to them, they were quick to accept it. They were quick to invite Jesus into their lives, quick to throw themselves on his mercy, relying on his power, not their own. In this regard, the Beatitudes still speak so powerfully to us today. The challenge is just as real. So many people in Ireland don't think they need God. So many people think Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. They're so determined to remain independent and shapers of their own destiny that they'll never bend the knee and accept God's gift. There are many equivalents to the rich young ruler in the world today. We, however, need to learn a different posture. Jesus says the way into the kingdom is through dependence and repentance, not self-reliance and human strength. This is why the poor in spirit, those who mourn their sin and who hunger for God, are blessed indeed. This is the second great lesson of the Beatitudes. Finally, the Beatitudes speak a word about power. Not the power of the sword and the boot, as used by Rome and the rioters at the capital last week, and indeed all the nations in our world who stockpile arms and nuclear weapons, but the power of humility. The Beatitudes do not tell us to set out to be hungry and persecuted, because to want such things is perverse. In that, Freud and the critics would be right. But that's not what Jesus says. The Beatitudes are good news not good advice. Yet by teaching us the values of the kingdom of God, they do speak a word on how we are to live, exercising the same power that Jesus used, the power of humility. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will teach us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus wants us to start living today as we will in eternity. To live as we will in the completed kingdom, here in the now but not yet. And Jesus teaches us to do this for two reasons. It is the way God made us as humans to be. So it's the healthiest way to live for ourselves. But it's also the way that brings most blessing to others. So we're not to set out to be poor, but we are to use all our resources for the benefit of others. We're not to set out to mourn, but we are to allow ourselves to be affected by suffering in the world and put an empathetic arm around those who are weeping. We are to be meek. We are to be merciful. We are to strive to be pure in heart, loving God and others. We are to do everything we can to make peace. Just a brief glance at the world teaches us the wisdom of this. Who is it that have to erect security fences, CCTV cameras and live in daily fear of being robbed? It is the rich who stockpiled fortunes. Who is it that are consumed by bitterness and a desire for revenge? Those who refuse to forgive. Who is it whose relationships break down? The selfish who are always after more for themselves. And who is it that have made the greatest difference in recent days? Those who have sought to live for the benefit of others. Captain Tom, Greta Thunberg, Marcus Rashford, Colin Kaepernick, the staff of the NHS. 
We all know instinctively that we would rather be around humble, merciful, peacemaking people than be with proud, selfish, argumentative people. This is simple wisdom, but it's also the power of humility. Humility attracts. Humility allows God to work. Humility allows blessing to spread and the kingdom to grow. This is completely counterintuitive to the values of our world, but it's the great power by which God's work is done. For Israel, this gave them a way to live for God, even while they were under the oppression of Rome, a way to witness even to their enemies. Remember the Roman centurion who came to faith by witnessing Jesus on the cross. For us today, it's the way to gain the world's respect so they might listen to the message of the gospel once more. The power of humility is the power the world needs. So as we come to the end of our tour of the Beatitudes, let us affirm that this is not the madness or mental imbalance that some suggest. This is the profoundest wisdom, the greatest news ever spoken. Yes, we have to think about it, but Jesus wanted that. After all, it's only after we have deeply reflected on things that we will allow them to change our lives. So let's remember those three words that begin with the letter P. The Beatitudes are promises of God to those who are desperate. A glorious future awaits them. The Beatitudes reveal the posture required to enter the kingdom of God. They put us on our knees. And the Beatitudes teach that a new kind of power has been unleashed into the world. The power of humility and service. That power will turn the world upside down and right way up. This is the power that we are to try and utilise every day, starting from the moment we leave this place.